0: All right, go on and open up your Bibles to John chapter 6. There is one family that I missed um, as you guys are turning there. Very special family. I don't know how I missed them. But uh, it's the Hammer family that are here. Uh, Mary Beth, Michael, and Lindsay. So we still have hammers in the house. So even though there's some hammers in, in Russia, we have hammers here. So we're glad to have you guys here this morning with us. Um, and um, the title of the lesson is, Did He Just Say That? This is uh, part one of two, and I'll tell you kind of where it came from. Uh, I got my idea on this actually from a Facebook post uh, that uh, one of our interns, Ivy's boyfriend, posted. Um, yeah, there we go. So if it doesn't go well, call Grayson. No, I'm just kidding. In Genesis chapter 3... Grayson posted this, uh, he just kind of posted this scripture um, about how Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the way he tempted her was he started off by asking the question, did God really say don't eat the fruit? You know, and that is the same way that Satan has been tempting us from the beginning, questioning the very words of God. Did God really say. Did he really mean that? I mean, why would a loving God do that? You know, that, that's what, so it got me thinking about, man, like God said some pretty tough things in the Bible, which I, which I believe is why many times we have this type of response and why Satan can pull us away because of this type of response that the response of, did, okay, did he really mean that? I mean, I know it says it right there. I know he actually said those words, but is that really? Okay, I, I, you know, I've, I've read a book on that, and that's not what the person that wrote the book said. You know what I mean? You guys with me on that? And so that's the inspiration behind some of this. And, and really, we're actually going to be looking at some, some hard statements that Jesus made. Because in John chapter 1, the Bible says, in the, uh, the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. And then it says in verse 14 that the he became he made his excuse me, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us talking about Jesus. So to doubt the words of Jesus, it really is to doubt the very words of God, the question, the words of God. You know, when I was in sixth grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Miss Crane. She was my English teacher. It was, a, it was a fun class. We, she, she, she made it a comfortable environment. We didn't have desks. We had um, beanbag chairs. I mean, that's just a cool teacher. Any of you teachers out there, that's a good, good idea. But I remember her because she was hard line. And I learned this the first week of school, or the first couple of weeks of school. I can't remember exactly the timeline, but she had us take this test. We had to read a book. That uh, she assigned the first week of school and we had to take a test and on the back was an essay question of the test And it was like one of those a couple pages and on the back was an essay question. And I am terrible at essay questions I was always terrible at essay questions. And so I remember this thinking right here Let me i'm taking the test and I get to the back and I look to the back and there's an essay question And so I didn't fill it out I turned my test in thinking That when she asked me about it, i'm just going to say I didn't even see it I totally forgot. I didn't even see. I didn't even look back there. Sure enough, after she graded the test, uh, she pulled me aside and she's like, Aaron, I noticed you didn't fill out the essay question. And I was like, I didn't see it. And she's like, well, now, you know, to look on the back of a paper, you got that one wrong. I mean, that was the lesson right there. I was like, "Okay, (laughs) Miss Crane meets business. You know, and sometimes that's how we treat the hard things that God says or the hard things that Jesus says. We just kind of glaze over it. We're just like, ah, I didn't, I didn't know that one was in there. You know what I mean? And so we're going to, uh, you know, if that's what you're feeling right now, God's going to, I think God's going to be like, sorry, it's there. And so we're just going to look at it. So, um, for those that like to take notes, Point number one, we're gonna, is gonna be the, uh, I'm not gonna tell you, you don't have to write this down, but I'm gonna tell you the format of it. The point number one is gonna be the shocking statement that Jesus made. Point number two is, what can we learn about Jesus from the statement that he made? And point number three is gonna be, how should we respond to it? Okay? So, point number one, the shocking statement, you're at John chapter six. You guys ready? Here's the shocking statement. And now, now really just to set it up you got to really like sometimes when you read the Bible it's important to put yourself in the shoes of the person that would have might might have heard this for the first time okay and so we'll get into it but in John chapter 6 this is a shocking statement at least one of the most shocking statements i've found verse 54 it says whoever eats my flesh this is Jesus talking whoever eats my flesh And drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Okay. I mean, imagine coming in late to that sermon. I mean, this was in the middle of a sermon, we know that. But imagine coming in late to that one and it's like Jesus is standing up there in the synagogue. That's what it says at the end here. And he's like, he's like, and if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. Be like, all right, get the kids. We're leaving right now. I mean, that's how we would respond, right? Right. And, you know, and, and in me, in my critical nature, kind of what I do when I hear a shocking statement like this of Jesus is what I say is, well, that's not the context. You know, you got to read everything. What, what, what did he really mean by that? Or, you know, does that make sense? Like, that, that's kind of how we, we look at it. Now, the thing is, when you look at the context of this story, Jesus was just building up to this point. He blew these people away. We're going to read it really quick. Um, in verse, starting in verse twenty-five, and I'm just going to read pretty quick, okay, as we go through, and then uh, we'll get on with the lesson. Before we can, before we do that, let's pray as we read into God's word. Lord, uh, I pray that um, as we're looking at Your Word, God, that our hearts can be soft, that we can't be, that we're not critical. And that the things that you want us to learn, we learn here this morning. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? This is verse 25, sorry, now we're in 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures. To eternal life, which the son of man will give you on him. God, the father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. So let me stop here for a second. Jesus Earlier in chapter six, just fed five thousand people, miraculously. Five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed five, actually more than five thousand people. It says there's five thousand men, not including women and children. So he just fed these five thousand people. He took a walk on the water, and then he is here in Capernaum. And in the meantime, the people are looking for him. And that's where we picked up is they, they found Jesus. And, and they're starting this discussion with Jesus, and Jesus immediately goes for the heart with the people. He's like, hey, you're looking for me because I did a miracle. And then they started talking about bread, and they started talking about manna, and talking about, you know, I love that they said, what miraculous sign will you give us? Jesus just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 of them. He just did a miraculous sign. You know, it's interesting, scholars actually think that They weren't impressed by this because in their minds, and you can read it here, they thought Moses fed an entire nation, manna, bread, every morning for 40 years. So Jesus feeding 5,000 on a whim wasn't as impressive as what Moses did. Does that make sense? And so they're kind of like having this discourse with Jesus and Jesus says you know the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world and then they said from now on give us this bread and then Jesus gives it to them this is where he starts making some of his shocking statements he says i am the bread of life he who comes down to he comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty Jesus tells the people, I am what needs to sustain you. And I want you to think of for a second, like what would it be like to hear this for the first time? Because he keeps this build up. He keeps building it up all the way to the point of saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He kind of uses this same kind of cryptic language that was really shocking to these people. You know, in verse 60, it says, hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus was preaching the word. You know, when I hear shocking statements of Jesus, like, this is how I know the gospel is true, because who comes up with this stuff? You know what I mean? Like who would come up with this? If you're trying to start a movement that's going to change the world, you don't say something like this. Right? You don't say to people, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You don't say to people, hey, love your enemies. No, if you're trying to start a movement, you tell people, hey, let's band together and we are going to conquer our enemies. You don't say to a group of people, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes. You know, we vote on the person that's going to give us the least amount of taxes, right? This is how I know that, okay, the Bible has to be true because nobody would in their right mind make this stuff up because it was so shocking. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying like, eat my body. Now, later on, they're going to understand it. Many of you, you understand it now. You know how I know? because you just took communion. Cuz later on he tells the he he like explains what he means. He's like, "Hey, my body is going to be sacrificed. My blood is going to be spilled. The bread represents my body. The drink represents my blood." But that's not until later. <laughs> Imagine hearing that for the first time. That was a shocking statement from Jesus. That's point number 1, the shocking statement. Point number two is, what can we learn from Jesus about this? What I learned from Jesus about this, Jesus does not cheapen the gospel message. He's not interested in numbers. Jesus is interested in hearts. And that's what I learned from this. When you look at the context of it, Jesus had thousands of people following him. He was preaching this message and then you get, like, we, we were in verse 60. They're like, who can accept this teaching? It is a hard teaching. Look in verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about, Jesus, about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit. They are life. Yet there are some who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And in verse 67 says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Jesus cleared the temple with these words. What was he telling people? You want to have eternal life? You put your complete trust in me. He compared himself to food and and water. Do you trust God the same way, with the same intensity that you look for food and water? I mean, you ever been really thirsty? You've been extremely hungry. Think about that feeling. Have you ever had that feeling towards God? That's what Jesus is saying to these people. They got it because they left. It was a hard teaching. Probably the most shocking statement of all, in my opinion, was in verse, 60, uh, verse 67, when he looked at his 12 disciples, the men that he had called personally and he asked them you don't want to leave too do you i mean how would you have felt in that moment well as a matter of fact i was kind of thinking about it you just said some crazy stuff jesus i mean that was the perfect time for them to blend into the crowd jesus gave them an out right then what do we learn from jesus He's not interested in numbers. He's interested in hearts. He's interested in full commitment. He's not scared to say the tough stuff. You know, sometimes I think we try to make the gospel easy to swallow. We do that for people we're reaching out to, and we just try to do that for ourselves. We try to make the gospel easy to swallow. Guys, there is nothing easy about it there's nothing easy about you must deny yourself that's in there it's another shocking statement there's nothing easy about jesus saying i am the only way not a way i am the only way that's not an easy one to swallow there's nothing easy one of the scariest scriptures in the bible to me is like when he says the road is narrow the road that leads to salvation is narrow and only a few find it I've been a disciple for eight years. To be honest, those scriptures still scare me. Especially the narrow road one, because I'm like, I hope I'm on it. You know, I think as just a society, we're loophole oriented. We're looking for a way out. We're looking... For the popular road. We're looking for something popular. growing up, I I did a track and field track and cross country in high school. And I wasn't a part of the district or I wasn't a zone for the one school that I wanted to go to. But because my mom was a teacher, I had the opportunity to pick which school I went to. And so I chose the school because I wanted to be. I wanted to to pursue distance running. It it seemed like it was something I was doing okay at while I was in middle school. And so I chose the school with the best reputation. When you walked into the gymnasium, it's called Lovejoy High School. I don't think they're good at cross country anymore because the coach left. But when you walk into their gymnasium, you would just see banners. State champs, state champs, state runner-up, state champs, state champs, state runner-up. They didn't bother putting regional champs up there because they were regional champs every year. Literally, when I went there my freshman year, they had been regional champs the 13 years before that. They just stopped putting it up there because it was just kind of like, oh, this is just the expectation. And I remember going to my first like meeting when they said, if you want to run cross-country, you need to come to this meeting. And there was like 60 people there. I was like, wow, this is awesome. So many people are here. And the coach said the same thing. He gave this one speech every year. He said, I will never turn any of you away. But if you're going to be on this team, you're going to have to work for it. That's kind of all he would say. I'll never turn any of you guys away. It was a public school. I don't think he was allowed to. But the workload that he gave out was so intense that you kind of wanted to quit if you didn't do it. He gave people their mileage for the summer. He said, okay, here's how much you need to run over the summer. And it wasn't just a few miles a day. It averaged to be about 13.5 miles a day. Many of us ran about 1,000 miles every summer just running. Okay, you just, you know, and that was back when the Forrest Gump was popular. So you, you just got all the... The honking and the run for us, run. I was, I hated that movie after that. (laughs) You know, it was, it was so difficult and, and, and really the, all the running was to prepare you for what we called hell week. You know, some of you play football or other sports where, where you have this one week of just intensive training and our coach would put us through this and he said, if you make it through this, then you can be on the team. And it was, I tell you what, after that week, I'm not going to go into all the details. We had five practices a day. Sometimes we had midnight time trials. Um, I mean, and, and you're eating in between, but you were running so much. I don't know if you've ever ran after you ate. Like you had to really, like it was hard to keep the food down because we were only running a couple hours after we ate. It was Every year, the, 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 the running camp was the hardest thing I'd ever been through. The very last day, everybody piled in a bus, they drove you 15 to 18 miles away and had you run back to the camp so that you could load, your, load the bus and go back home. You know, you had, we had 60 people signed up at the beginning of the summer. Cross-country season came around, probably had like 25 people on the team that, that, that really were ready to work. And even out of that 25, only seven got to be on the traveling team. You know, it was so intense, but after I got done doing it, I felt like, man, I, I felt like I could climb any mountain. I felt like I could accomplish anything. You know, when these people were following Jesus, I think they were just in it because it was a great show. They were just fans. You know, football season is upon us. I love watching football. I love going to football games. You know, my team is the Atlanta Falcons. They're playing right now. You know, and if a kid, you know... I used to have this weird thought as a kid when I would show up to a game. I used to go to like ba- watch basketball games, like rec league basketball games, and I would always wear my basketball shoes because I was thinking if they need me, I'll be ready. I was just going as a fan, <laughs> but I was ready to be put in the game. Listen, if the Atlanta Falcons coach called me right now and said, Aaron, we need you, like, uh uh-uh. uh. I've been watching all the movies, the the concussion stuff. You know, one hit from these guys, I'm out. (laughs) Jesus wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for real players. He was looking for the ones that are going to be truly committed. You ask, like, why would he do this? Why would he teach something so hard to them? Because he wasn't waiting, he wasn't just looking for the fans out there. You know that's something that really strikes me about Jesus. When he teaches something hard, he doesn't chase people down. You don't see him tell his disciples, "Oh guys, I'm so sorry, hey here, here's some invites. go 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 tell them about the ice cream social that we have coming up. Maybe they'll like that." You know what I mean? Let's, let's get them to this. You know, No, he doesn't do that. He preaches a message. He preaches a hard message. And if they leave, they leave. Now, he wants everyone. But he's not going to water it down for everyone. That's a tough thing to hear. I feel challenged saying that. I feel challenged hearing that. I think in my sinful nature... I want to make Jesus as attractive as possible. I want, you know, I want people to have eternal life. I want to make Jesus as attractive as possible. You know, and, and, you know, working with the college students, I go out there and I tell people about Jesus. But you know what I have to be careful of? Is am I just handing out a lot of free bread? Am I cheapening the gospel when I'm doing it? Or am I saying, no, this is the commitment? It's a big commitment. It's hard. It's hard line. Brothers and sisters, men and women here in the church, like, we can't cheapen the gospel. There's only one way. Jesus is the bread, and He is what's going to sustain us. When he asks that question, you don't want to leave too, do you? What a challenge. Point number three is, how should we respond to this? And I think the answer is in verse 68. He asks the 12 in verse 68, Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, when I read that, this is one of the... the, I just... I'm so glad that God put it on Peter's heart to have this response. Peter challenges everyone and and he's like, do you guys want to leave too? And, and Peter just in this amazing moment, you know, Peter said some crazy things, but this is one of those moments where I think he got it right, where Jesus is saying these things, he looks them in the eye and he's like, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then Peter, he's like, I mean, I, I thought about it, but where else will I go? I think that's something that we all forget in moments of trials, in moments of transition, and in temptation. After the whole crowd has left and Jesus is looking at his disciples, Peter responds with, Lord, to whom shall we go? I thought about how hard your teaching is, but when I think about walking away, there's something very troubling about that. Because if I'm walking away from you, that means I'm walking towards someone or something else. And as focused as I might be on my doubts, and as focused as I might be on some of my questions, or as focused as I might be on like how hard you're saying this is, when I consider my options... To whom shall I go? I mean, what a response from Peter. You know, just in in my family, it's kind of just an unspoken rule that when LaShane and I go somewhere, I drive. And it's not because I'm a better driver than her. Uh, We have that argument consistently in our marriage. my My example is always... Honey, I make more mistakes because I drive more. And so, you know, like, that's why. And so, but but it's just one of those things. When we go somewhere, I drive. Um, the only time she drives is when I ask her to drive. And it's just kind of, you know, it's just, you know what I mean? You, everybody has that one that somebody drives more than the other, right? I've got a couple people shaking their heads. But you know, the the one thing that I miss when I'm, Driving is the beautiful scenery. I think about driving on the 126 out to Ventura. You got all the mountains. I love that drive. And if I ever, whenever I get a chance, that one right there, that's when I'm asking somebody else to drive. And if I'm driving down to Burbank or something like that, I, I don't really care about asking somebody else to drive because I'm just looking at walls on the side. You know, for many of us, This is how we are with Jesus. We say, well, Jesus, I'll drive. You get in the passenger seat. I'll drive. You know, and I think for us, we need to learn something from Peter here. Peter's like, yeah, this is a tough teaching, and the road might be a little crazy. It actually might be a little uncomfortable to take this road. But... I mean, I wouldn't want to go with anyone else, Jesus. Your words lead to eternal life. I uh, lived in Colorado for one year, and in Colorado Springs, they have Pikes Peak. It's a very popular mountain, and you can drive up Pikes Peak. And I've taken that drive a few times, uh and every year they, they or like every few years they pave that road, it doesn't make it any better. It is such a scary road to take. And these just hairpin turns, steep drop offs. And what's even crazier is every year they have a race. Like they have a race race cars drive up the mountain. And if you ever get a chance, go YouTube that right there. It is just intense. To watch these people just, just cranking around these hairpin turns and stuff like that. And, and sometimes, you know, when you watch it, you're like, wow, that's crazy. And there's a couple of videos out there of you can actually see like what somebody, the passenger would see in those. And it just is intense. You know, I have a feeling that this is what it was like to be with Jesus. It's like you're going up this steep mountain. You're going at speeds really high. You don't really know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be crazy. You know it's going to be amazing because he'd said stuff like, you know, what Nate mentioned about. He said, I came so I can give you life to the full. Your life is going to be full. And it might scare you a little bit. I'm actually going to ask you to put all of your trust in me. But man, what a ride it's going to be. You know, I think everybody that left Jesus after the temple here made a terrible decision for themselves. I think for each one of us, we have to have the heart that Peter had. We've got to be able to ask that question. It's like when we're feeling down, when we're hearing a tough statement made by Jesus, when we're feeling called higher by his, by his gospel message, we've got to be able to look at him and say like, where else would I go? Because when I do it on my own, it doesn't work. When I make the decisions for myself, look where it's got me. I'm crashing and burning every time. And I love that Peter gives us that example of, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, as we leave here this morning, I want to encourage the church. Don't glaze over the tough statements that Jesus makes. There's a lot in there. Next week, we're going to talk about a few more that Jesus makes. Don't glaze over them. Put them to heart. Put them to practice. You know, because Jesus did come to give us life to the full, but he's not going to water the gospel down for each one of us. And then if you're feeling troubled by any of those statements, ask that question. Where else am I going to go? You have eternal life. I'm going to stick with you. So thank you for letting me share. We're going to, continue, we're going to close out with one final song. Please stand as we close.